Radio's Peace in a Pod. My name is Indigo Trigg-Hauger, and I'm a communicator at the Peace Research Institute, Oslo. My job here is to help researchers convey their work. Usually that means talking to the media, politicians, other stakeholders, and colleagues. With this podcast, that means talking to you. Today, the Nobel Peace Prize was awarded to the World Food Program. When announcing the prize, committee chairman Berit Reis-Anderson said that, quote, With this year's award, the Norwegian Nobel Committee wishes to turn the eyes of the world towards the millions of people who suffer from or face the threat of hunger. I'm speaking with three PRIO researchers today to get their immediate thoughts on the prize and its implications. First up, Maria Gabrielsen Jumbert and Kristen Sandvik. Maria is a research director at PRIO and director of the Norwegian Center for Humanitarian Studies. She researches EU border policy, humanitarian crises, security, and surveillance. Kristin is a research professor at PRIO and a professor in the Faculty of Law at the University of Oslo. Much of her work focuses on humanitarian intervention, as well as data and surveillance and digital bodies. Okay, welcome, Maria and Kristin. Thank you for joining me on such short notice. We just heard the news of the Nobel Peace Prize for 2020, going to the World Food Program. Um, this could be seen as a humanitarian prize. Why is that significant? Uh, Maria, maybe you can tell me about that. Yes, absolutely. It can definitely be seen as a humanitarian prize, as a Nobel Peace Prize, for the, not just for the World Food Program, but for the broader humanitarian sector. But uh, before dwelling further into that, I, I also find it interesting how a prize to uh, the world's largest humanitarian organization is also framed very much uh, in the words of uh, the security and insecurity that, that food can potentially uh, constitute. So the lack of food or lack of food provision uh, is really framed as a, as a weapon of war. And in that context, the World Food Programme is recognized for its efforts to, to uh, ensure food security and thereby reducing uh, the proneness to conflict. Yeah, absolutely. Kristen, how does this fit in with with your research and the view that you have on on this as a humanitarian prize? I mean, I I think I agree that it's a humanitarian prize also for the sector. Um, I do think it's it's problematic to read this as being in praise of the humanitarian enterprise as such. So, you know, this is an industry that's been under fire from donors, communities in crisis, and the media and, and the global public for being ineffective, remote, etc., uh, etc., et for the better part of, of two decades. And, and, you know, we haven't even gotten to the specific politics of food aid. Um, humanitarian sector in general is, is, you know, growing enormously, and, and so is what is perceived as an accountability deficit. Um, the World Food Program, um, as, as an organization, of course, has, has been a part of this and has also struggled with, with problems of, of corruption, of, of food being diverted, and, and of getting uh, kind of embroiled in, in world politics. Um, I, I saw some commentators uh, suggesting that this was you know, a criticism of, of the U.S., but, but, you know, this guy, David Beasley, has, has, is a Trump nominee um, uh, under uh, under him. You know, the Americans are still very enthusiastic about the World Food Program and, and you know, giving lots of funding. 
and 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 the last four so it's since 1992 every executive director of executive director of the world food program has been from the us uh, and 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 historically the organization has been seen as a you know front for for us agricultural interests and foreign policy so, so there is also that which is problematic and and i think that we're going to learn more about in in the next coming days that's very interesting and uh, it's also an interesting perspective because uh, the immediate reaction from much of the media and, and a lot of experts is that this wasn't such a controversial prize, uh, but it sounds like maybe maybe some controversy will will brew a little bit. Uh, before we go on to my next question, Maria, do you have any do you have any thoughts on that on the possible controversy or, or non controversy? Well, uh, there I, I think indeed it's framed as being not controversial uh, because uh, it's framed as as being the most uh, the most basic thing we all need is food. So talking about food security uh, can also be seen as a way to, in a world otherwise in turmoil and in where there's a crisis of international cooperation, to say, now we're going back to the most basic, that's food provision. So I think that's at least how it's uh, being framed now. That doesn't mean that it's not controversial, as Kristin just alluded to. I think there are several reasons to, for which it can also be seen as, as controversial. Hmm. So, uh, Kristen, I want to ask you, Berit Reis-Andersen said that uh, in her in her uh, reasoning for the prize, she said that food is the best vaccine against chaos. What do you think of that? It's quite a strong statement. So um, I'm going to leave the, 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 the question of, of framing to Maria. But, but I mean, in, in a sense, this is a very strong human security prize. It's being given in recognition of the importance of, of combating the use of food as a weapon of war. And, and of the existential threat to human life caused by food shortages. Uh, you know, the, the, the struggle, the fight against starvation is, is kind of one of the original humanitarian causes, right? So if you look 150, 200 years back, you know, the European community, the world community gathered to fight against famines. You know, historically, the Irish famine, Norwegians particularly remember the Russian famines. And, you know, they, these are foundational moments in modern humanitarianism. Um, I actually quite strongly disagree with this emphasis on this being not political, right? So mass starvation has throughout history been mischaracterized as a natural phenomena or an unfortunate side effect of conflict and political oppression. Uh, I'm a little afraid that this is what we're doing with this sort of the climate change threat now. Um, increasingly, at least in academia, there's been a shift uh, towards the, the, you know, this idea that these incidents don't just happen. This is about politics of abandonment, about military tactics, and also about the rather problematic role of, of relief and development agencies in contributing to hunger. Um, and, and, you know, generally... Uh, you know, what is hunger and what is starvation and famine is, is also not neutral. So, you know, there isn't always agreement among experts or among international agencies on the politics of determining the thresholds of famine. So 15 years ago, there was a huge discussion about whether the food shortages in Niger back in 2005 amounted to famine at all and, and whether that man mattered. Um 
I, I think also increasingly the struggle against food shortages has become entangled with, you know, questions about uh, data governance and, and surveillance and, and what we can really know about what's going on on the ground, which, again, you know, is, is definitely not neutral at all. Yeah, Maria, do you have something to add to that? It's, it, you looked pretty eager to comment. I definitely agree that there's a lot of politics in defining what uh, constitutes a famine and then and in formulating the, the appropriate responses, of course. I also think it's interesting with this year's price that um, that the World Food Programme's aid is, is framed as an instrument of peace uh, because of how uh, food uh, security can be manipulated in conflicts. But of course, humanitarian aid itself, as Christina also alluded to, uh, can also be subject to, to the warring parties' interest and what they want to, to take control over. So, so food aid is not neutral in a conflict setting either and can contribute to, to, to changing the dynamics of a conflict itself. Can, can I just add something to what Maria said? And, and I really would like Maria to say something about this, this notion of vaccine, given that we're in 2020 as well. But, but I think it, it's, it's important to problematize the peace humanitarian link. You know, we have to remember that humanitarian purposes have also been used to motivate military humanitarian interventions. Right. So there is this nexus between the military, uh, you know, and the humanitarian and, and how particularly Western governments have been quite keen to, to you know, shift our governments in the name of saving women or, or civilian populations. So, so it, it's um, it's not apolitical and it's not unproblematic to create this link between peacemaking and, and humanitarian aid. Uh, yes, so th it was very interesting to hear uh, how uh, the chairman of the Nobel Committee, Berit Seraitz Andersen, um, said that uh, that uh, food uh, or food aid is the be best vaccine against chaos, and I found that to be uh, an interesting uh, choice of uh, of a concept in the in this year where all our attention is turned to the COVID nineteen pandemic. And of course, to to uh, the development of vaccines to to potentially put an end to to the spread of that uh, virus, and uh, and just the uh, the choice of framing food aid uh, in the terms of of a vaccine was really interesting. And here again, it's it's back to what we just discussed that that food is a is a vaccine is the remedy against chaos, and that is also uh, uh, used when uh, when they. Um, uh, when they, for instance, argue for uh, this year's price by saying that um, that food shortages uh, is also a cause for uh, for refugees fleeing a different uh, crisis as well. So both of you, of course, are involved with the Norwegian Center for Humanitarian Studies, and Prio is is a co-host of that center. Um, Chris and I can let you go first, and then Maria, but. How do you see this this prize both fitting in with some of the work that you've been doing, but also um, do you think that this will lead to some kind of renewed interest in, in humanitarian studies as a whole? Uh, Kristen, what are your thoughts? Well, I think that um, the, the center has a very strong profile on, on critical thinking, on technology and, and innovation. And I think uh, the World Food Program is definitely a leader in, in the digital transformation of aid. 
Um, they've done many, many interesting things. They really kind of uh, revamped the ship, probably more than most other large international organizations. And I, I really think that it would be exciting to learn more about you know those projects. Um, but this leads me to, to you know frustration that the humanitarian studies field has had over a long period of time, and that's the inaccessibility of this organization. There are very few experts on the organization, and that it's in part because the organization has been very unwilling to give access to academics. Um, if you look at UNHCR, there is an enormous group of people around UNHCR doing kind of critical, but, but also friendly engagement with the organization's policies and practices. Uh, I really would hope that this prize could be the point of departure for establishing a similar dialogue around the work of the World Food Program. Uh, Maria, close us out with your thoughts. Yes, definitely. And just adding uh, to what Kirsten uh, just said, which I entirely agree and, uh, and looking forward to following up several lines of, of research uh, uh, along these lines. Um, I'm also interested in, uh, in precisely what is defined as a humanitarian crisis and which uh, and thereby which actors are defined as having a role and the responsibility to do something. And um, and with this year's prize, I think it will be interesting to precisely continue discussions uh, around what constitutes a humanitarian crisis, what constitutes a famine, uh, how is that defined by the World Food Programme and other international organizations, and then what are the politics of, uh, of famines, which is uh, something we know well from several decades back, but, but to look at this with, uh, with new eyes now also in ongoing conflicts such as in Yemen or in Syria. Thank you both so much for speaking with me. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for, for clarifying some of the points about this prize. It's been very interesting. Next up, I'm talking to Ida Rudolfsson. She's a doctoral researcher at PRIO, exploring whether and under what conditions food insecurity increase leads to unrest. Her project focuses on urban Africa. Welcome, Ida. Thank you for joining me on such short notice. Um, I had to frantically start looking for people, but thankfully, uh, at Priya, we have a lot of experts on food, conflict, the link there, and you specifically research food insecurity. Um, so what is the link between food and conflict? First of all, thank you for having me. Um, obviously, I think this is a, a very interesting topic. I think the most important thing to think about uh, when we discuss the, the link between conflict and food is that it goes both ways. So I focus on how food insecurity leads to conflict, but it's more well established and well known that um, conflict leads to food insecurity. So it goes both ways and it has um, a circular relationship, which is both linked to uh, and leads to low economic development. So many of these countries that first see an armed conflict uh, see then again an increased uh, food insecurity and hunger, which again then leads to more food, uh, to conflict. And then you have this circular relationship that's very difficult, a conflict trap that it's very uh, difficult to get out of. But I fo focus mostly on how food insecurity leads to, to conflict. So one of the of the pathways, um, so to speak. So, I mean, when when we envision a country that's maybe in a famine or, or yes, is food insecure, um, 
you would think that people would be too much too focused on actually eating to then be engaged in conflict, or at least that that's kind of what mm. my gut reaction would be. So how how does food insecurity then sometimes actually lead to conflict? I I, I can see the the other connection quite easily, but your research kind of looks at that yeah. other connection. Mm, yeah. So I think I think that's a very good question. I think one that's one of the misconceptions also that we have that we think that that. Uh, for example, food prices uh, are increasing, which then leads to food insecurity that uh, makes people uh, hungry and angry. And you have this desperate <laughs> mob of uh, yeah. mad uh, people seeking uh, redemption uh, from the state. And that's often not the case. So so we know that those who are most food insecure are, are, are likely not uh, able to, to engage in, in, in armed conflict. So they are often uh, more concerned in securing livelihood, right? They don't have the capacity or, uh, or um, the network available to do that sort of thing. So often the most clear link within my field, at least, is that we see uh, is focusing on food prices. That's what is most um, well known and it's very uncontroversial now. Uh, after the food price spikes in both 2007 and 8 and 2010 and 11 to say that food prices um, increase, especially urban unrest. But the, that is not the most uh, food insecure often who engage in urban unrest. It's often the um, urban middle class who have the ability uh, to, to coordinate and to engage in, 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 and demand uh, um, change from the government. And also... Um, that these issues are very uh, interlinked with other socioeconomic issues. So often it's not the the, the desperation from hunger uh, is the main, even the main cause of urban unrest. But but food prices can be a, sp- a spike or like the last straw that that um, uh, pushes people into to to uh, engaging in urban unrest to uh, address a range of socioeconomic issues. So it's very it's a very complex uh, relationship, both in terms of that that the um, the pathway goes bo- both ways, but also that it's inter- interlinked with other other socioeconomic issues and political issues as well. Yeah. So yes, political issues, which you just mentioned. I, when I spoke to Maria and Kristin earlier, they started going into a little bit of why they think the prize um, maybe isn't so uncontroversial. I mean, the immediate reaction online from the media and and, and from also from some researchers that I talked to briefly, they thought, okay, well, this is you know, everyone can agree that we all need, we need to eat. We all deserve to yep. eat. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm wondering is, is there a military aspect here that could be a little bit controversial? You, you mentioned just some of that a little bit briefly here, mm-hmm. but, uh, for example, do people sometimes maybe join military efforts because they don't have enough to eat and they want that guarantee or, um, I'm just spitballing a little bit here, but yep. can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so, um, uh, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting point, and there's a lot a lot to say about that. And um, so, for me, at least, I, I agree that it's not a, a very controversial price, and that, that in these times, with all these things going on in the world, it's it's very good that we focus on the mas- most basic of human needs, and, and that that should, should be secured. But I think it's also a political price. So both in, in terms of like signaling that international cooperation is important in a time where you see, for example, states, important states at, um, in terms of international organizations such as the US then choose to withdraw from the World Health Organization, for example, uh, that they signal um, that this uh, international um, cooperation is, is important. So I think that's the uh, first part, part. And then secondly, we think that aid organizations such as the World Food Program, of course, it's imp- they do 
very important work and and save a lot of lives but it's also a um difficult not to to, to uh, it's difficult to be um completely detached from the political environment within which you you s- seek to help people right so we know also that when you you go into a conflict area uh, you can see that some rebel groups can um take advantage of uh, aid and use food food distribution as a, a way to 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 change or, or even prolong the conflict that we, for example we uh, biafra i would say is a very well known case of of um, where the conflict got prolonged after aid organizations got involved many think that the conflict would have ended earlier if nobody had gotten involved and of course there's a ethical aspect here mm. like shouldn't we help when we try so it's not it's very easy to say that you should be aware of what what where you get involved and what you do but um it, it's um easy to critique that but but i think it's important for international organizations to be aware of the local context where they where they get involved um so yeah and also we know that um in sierra leone for example that that uh, the 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 seek uh that food and economic uh benefits were were used to recruit soldiers that they needed food and wanted to that you, you, you that you not necessarily believe in the overall cost of the rebel group but but the local context and and, and lower opportunity costs um make you um join a rebel group to 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 get access to food and and also just a a, a basic income yeah. so two years ago here at prio um the director had the world food program and david beasley the, the executive director of mm-hmm. the world food program at the top of our list and a lot of that was because of Yemen uh, and the famine in Yemen, mm. which uh, is one of the biggest humanitarian crises of our time. Um, but now we're maybe seeing it, a renewed interest in this because of coronavirus and the right. concern that um, on top of all of the other you know, famines and, and food insecurity issues that we see in the world, that now coronavirus is going to exacerbate this. Right. And that was something that Beret Reis Anderson uh, drew a very clear line to in her... Um, uh, speech. So, what what do what do you expect we're going to see in the coming years when it comes to food insecurity and and the pandemic? Yeah, no, uh, no uh, that's um, um, something I um, have been thinking about a lot, and uh, I, I uh, uh, unfortunately I think this topic uh, will have enough to do also in the in the years of, yeah, ahead when it comes to food insecurity and armed conflict. I mean. Um, there was over 200, 800, sorry, 820 million people that were food insecure before the pandemic started, uh, right? So we know that uh, COVID-19 is likely to 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 increase food insecurity even further. So this is because they, um, they um, disrupt food distribution channels, like transport, for example, right? That you can't get trucks where you want them to. And also the production, basically, of staple food that people can't get to the fields to do what they... Uh, um, to to get to work and also labor shortage shortages as well. So, I think um, I, I I with this pandemic going on in the same time at the same time, I think it's very important and very timely that the the World Food Program got this prize. But I I do worry um, uh, about the future in terms of just the um, spread of uh, and depth of food insecurity that will not most likely not improve um, in the years ahead. So I, um, yeah, especially those countries who are already involved in conflicts, such as Yemen, uh, for example, um, will probably have a, see a prolonged uh, crisis. 
so yeah i i worry <laughs> i think a lot of us worry about the future but um um that is uh, especially worrisome i think uh, it, that food insecure will probably just spread more as as we as we go ahead so a very bleak uh, a bleak projection yeah. for me <laughs> yeah it is bleak but i guess that makes the prize all the more important right yeah well, do you have any final thoughts, anything you, yeah, that's on your mind related to this prize or anything you'd like to highlight? No, I mean, I think um, it's uh, the take home point, of course, is that food food insecurity is something that's very um, context specific. So it's only a, a, a certain type of countries that see this, right? So and also the effect of food prices, for example, doesn't have that um, grave effect in Norway, for example, we have channels and political institutions to handle these types of things and so it's usually in countries with low economic development and high levels of unemployment and um, economic inequality where we see these types of things and but also to remember that food insecurity leads to conflict but most importantly that conflict leads to conflict uh, leads to food insecurity so it's a it's a very um, um, it's a conflict trap that is very difficult to get out of thank you Ida Thank you. Thanks for picking Prio's Peace in a Pod. This podcast is a production of the Peace Research Institute Oslo, Prio, located in Norway. For more information, visit prio.org. Editing, recording, and hosting by me, Indigo Trikauger. Music by Martin Nenlo.